Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In the fog of Trump is basically the idea that every six hours there's an outrage. And that means that it's very hard to remember three outrages ago. Welcome to Foreign Policy. I'm David Rothkopf, CEO and editor, and you're listening to the ER. I'm in Washington today, and I'm pleased to welcome back Susan Hennessy, who is a fellow in national security in governance studies at Brookings. She's also managing editor of the Lawfare blog. And also joining us in Washington is a former FP columnist, Julia Yaffe, who is also a staff writer for the much fancier Atlantic. Calling in from Palo Alto is Corey Shockey, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution, where she focuses on military history. If you have ideas, email us at erpodcast at foreignpolicy.com. And there may also be some new mug taglines making their debut soon. If you have a good suggestion for a mug tagline, send it in to us, because we'd really like to keep them as amusing as they have always been. They're made in China, David. Exactly. So is our future being made in China. <laughs> Get them Recently, before the 40% tariff kicks in. <laughs> yes, exactly. Recently, in our tiny podcast studio, high above Washington's DuPont Circle, we had the following conversation. Welcome back to another episode of the ER. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a, there's a phenomenon that I call the fog of Trump. Okay, and the fog of Trump is basically the idea that every six hours there's an outrage. And that means that it's very hard to remember three outrages ago. So in a normal administration, the fact that the emoluments clause to the Constitution was violated on day one or the incoming president had violated the terms of his post office hotel lease or that the incoming president was flying in the face of ethics laws or the incoming president was flying in the face of nepotism laws, all things that we talked about on day one, we'd still be digging in. Journalists would be digging into these stories. We would be finding more and more. But literally every six hours, there's some new insanity. The journalists are like you know greyhounds chasing the mechanical rabbit. They're off there going after the, the, whatever the latest story is. And as a result, all this other stuff falls under the radar. And I want to talk a little bit about on this episode, what are the things that shouldn't be falling under the radar that really deserve some intensive examinations? Okay. And so I've I've got a couple and some of them have to do with foreign policies per se and a couple of them have to do with violations. Uh, But let me start with you, Susan. What's your favorite? I have a couple, although I a little bit think we should think about the strategy differently than, hey, this is the stuff we should care about versus not care about. I don't think anything should go under the radar. I think that we're going to have to adopt sort of a man your battle stations approach. People are going to have to— As the New England Patriots say it, do your job. Do your job, right? Right. 
find the issue area that you care about, that you have expertise on it, and you're going to have to stay on that beat um, and sort of do the work for everybody else and, and not not get dragged in a, in a million different directions. From my perspective and sort of in, in my world, I think this Russia sort of collusion investigation story, that's, that's the slow burning story that just is not going away. Tell me what you think the truth of that story is. So I don't know. I think the truth is that there is a very serious ongoing investigation. I think the truth is, is that that investigation includes uh, some serious suspicions about whether or not members of the Trump campaign or team uh, actively colluded with an adversary nation. Um, I think that there is a reasonable possibility that that investigation produces information that it will be impossible for Congress not to uh, take serious, serious action in response to. I think that's the thing that, however, you know, Donald Trump only cares about what's in the headlines versus not. That's the thing that, that is still really important. It's still ongoing. And just because it's slipped from the front page, keep an eye on that. The other thing is is sort of the uh, the ethics stuff, right? We've now seen that Crew, which is a good governance organization, has filed a lawsuit on these emoluments clause issues. As he engages in additional conduct, like designating Muslim majority countries for uh, his immigration ban, but not those where he actually has businesses, as he engages in more and more of that conduct, that might give suits like that more sort of juice. And so being really careful to, to just stay on all of the things he does on a daily basis that really undercut basic values of good governance, anti-corruption, and placing the fiduciary duty of the executive, right? His obligation to place our interests above his own. So same question to you, Julia. At late at night, you're walking around your house, you've got a scotch, you've been drinking, (laughs) um, and you're going over and over in your brain. Why aren't we following up on this? Why is this not getting more attention? What is it you're thinking about? I was going to say exactly what Susan said about the investigations into the Russian hack of the U.S. election and alleged connections, allegedly well, nefarious she didn't, connections. She didn't even mention the Russian hack. I mean, actually. that's part of the whole thing, right? right? The Russian hack into the election and potentially nefarious connections, moneyed or uh, liquid connections between the Trump camp and Russia. That is a massive story. Putin reversed the outcome of the Cold War, he hacked our election. He got somebody elected beyond his. I mean, he I don't think he expected to get this guy elected. And we've just moved on to the next thing. Also, why aren't we digging into apprentice ratings? This is really this is important. You mean the claims that the ratings? I know. Are- I'm kidding. Yes, it's a joke. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is what I fear is going to happen a lot. Remember the voter fraud investigation that Trump launched? What I- happened to it? I mean, alleged- White House said it was no longer a priority three days after he launched it. But I have some still- speculation as to why that's the case, although I don't know firsthand. So in order to undertake an investigation in the federal government, you have to have this thing called a predicate. That's the thing that uh, it's the reason why FBI agents can't just like, I don't know, investigate 500,000 Americans for basically nothing like we saw during the Edgar Hoover uh, reign at FBI. Um, so my gut feeling, if I had to dig down and guess, was, there's no predicate. was that the FBI or somebody else came back and said, you have no factual predicate. Right. But I think here's the thing. And I I think Trump is uh, really smart in this one regard. He knows that he said it. He said it a few times in a very short amount of time that that margin by which Hillary Clinton won the popular vote is actually the same exact margin that all these shadowy illegals came out and voted for her. 
And whether or not there's an investigation, whether it produces any kind of results, whether it's even happening, doesn't matter. His supporters and the vast majority of Americans who aren't digging in the weeds of this every day, who aren't sitting on Twitter and, you know, blowing gaskets every couple of hours, they don't. That they don't personal care. to me. Also, what? no, no, no. I Susan. believe me. Um, my, I don't have Susan's, any gaskets Susan, left. Consider to blow. Susan's gasket blown. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna light you up on Twitter as soon as I get my phone back. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. So, but I have no gaskets left to blow. So, uh, but, but, but 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 this is like they're flooding the zone with shit. And he is very good at, you know, and we can't pay attention to it all. And everybody's spinning their wheels and whatever other metaphor, plastic, mechanical rabbits, greyhounds. We're chasing all these stories, but he's getting We're chasing a lot of metaphors. also. Yes. And he and stretching them. But he's getting his message out very concisely and in a very kind of disciplined way. And most people aren't paying attention to the details or, or the follow up story. And they saw, well, I don't know. He kind of. I guess she didn't win the popular vote. And he said the Russia hacking was a guy in New Jersey who was 400 pounds. And that's it. And I think for most people, it ceases to be an issue. And it's not just that we're not digging into this stuff because it's falling through the cracks. And again, metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. But I think when he said the American people don't care about my taxes or it was his lawyer, right? The American people don't care. He won. I think... They mean it, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. Well, I think that there is, and I want to come to you, Corey, in a second, but I don't want to let Julia sort of slide off of the Russia story so quickly. You talk to people in Russia all the time. You follow Russia. What do they think is true? Let me ask you some direct questions. Uh Yes. Do they think that the Russians hacked into the election to tip the scales on behalf of Trump? They don't think, you know, I actually just this morning was talking to pretty moderate, um, rational, you know, foreign policy analysts in Moscow, and they were kind of dismissive of the hack. And they're like, we haven't really seen the evidence. And I don't know, Russia, you know, the the Russian government's kind of dumb. They're not really capable of this. Do they think that the arrest of KGB officers or the death of people or anything has anything to do with this? Probably. I think they're more concerned about the arrest of this guy, of the Shaltai Baltai hacking group. Yeah, the Humpty Dumpty, the guy who was hacking and leaking the emails of high-ranking Putin administration. They're more concerned that more and more people are getting roped into that. And what actually what I heard is very, very funny and very Russian. And this sounds like the Russia I know as opposed to this well-oiled evil machine with all these hackers, you know, rowing in the galley to the beat of a drum. This person was telling me that there's now like every single political scientist worth his or her salt in Moscow is writing reports to the Kremlin saying, here's how I helped elect Donald Trump when in fact they didn't because Putin's election is coming up in 2018 and there's a lot of money to be handed out in helping get him elected. And so they're all vying for these contracts by retroactively falsifying their involvement with the Trump campaign, which I think is pretty funny. I'm very disappointed that neither of you has like gone to the compromise side of this thing and gone into the the Russians have videos side of that Here, story. No, I think we have. The fact that no video has surfaced as far as anybody knows. Every every journalist has come up empty-handed. I got this tip in July when I was working at Politico and a colleague and I were digging on this for weeks. 
and we couldn't we came up empty-handed and the times and the post and the ap and the bbc were investigating whether or not the trump campaign met with the russians in prague came up empty-handed i'm not saying there there's no there 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 probably is a there there but so far nobody can find the there okay Corey, i did I know- oh and one thing sorry one thing i did want to add is the fsb arrests in the fsb the murder of the fsb general or the death the mysterious death i wouldn't be surprised if the Trump administration were leaking this to the Russians, these names to the Russians of who they worked with. Wow. That's kind of even a mind-boggling thing to take in, folks. But that's definitely one to consider once we finish this episode. Corey. So um, I can think of three. The first is tracking the money on the president and his businesses. I think that, you know... To my knowledge, he has not turned over effective control of his businesses to his family. But even if he had, having his two sons at White House meetings, if they are running the businesses, that kind of stuff, I think, deserves careful and rigorous continued attention because the tawdriness of it, I think, will will wear on public support for the president. And there are lots of legal compromises. Uh, this is a really important point. I want to I want to come back to your other two points, Corey. I don't want to jump in, but I saw Susan writing something down. We have no idea, do we, who the beneficiaries of the Trump Organization are. We don't know whether Ivanka is a beneficiary, or Jared Kushner is indirectly a beneficiary, or the children are beneficiaries, or what Trump's interests are that he is maintaining and therefore he is a beneficiary. If only there was some sort of like a document or a piece of paper, maybe something you file on an annual basis with the government that could answer that question. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So so maybe we'll never know. Someone at the IRS Isn't that the whole brave. point of the crew lawsuit though is to get him to release his That's tax report? That's one of the goals is obtaining it in discovery. Corey, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, so that's the first one. I I think that's a really important accountability point that Trump hasn't been held to that standard and ought to be held to that standard. And everyone in the future running for national political office ought also to be held to that standard because we ought to be having a vigorous public debate about, you know, why are the countries on the so-called Muslim ban list on the list and why are other countries not? Um, And if there is the potential for economic gain on the part of the president and his family based on who is on that list and who is not on that list, again, we ought to be making public policy choices and knowledge of those facts. So that would be my first one. My second one, I'm actually genuinely worried about delegitimization of the media because Everybody's worked up into such a froth that a lot of stuff is getting reported, like the Trump dossier, the release of the Trump dossier, um, or some of the reporting on downgrading the role of the director of central intelligence and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the new executive order. Stuff's being reported as though... It's both true and the end of the republic. 
And I think people are going to get exhausted with the, the breathlessness of some of the coverage, especially if it turns out not to be true. It's really important um, to keep a clear, bright line between journalists who operate on the basis of fact and, and are, are crucial sentinels for informing the public and the kind of nonsense that we're hearing out of the president's spokespeople. And I worry that... You mean Kellyanne Conway of, and the Bowling Green Massacre? Oh, my... Oh uh, my a lot God. of right-wing sites are, have already backfilled that story. Pardon me? Like, this is what happens, I think, when Trump or his minions mouth off and say something crazy that sounds crazy to us. Often they're drawing from a meme that's been circulating on the fringes of the informational universe or that those fringes fill in that story. And then when you go out and talk to voters or Trump supporters, they'll mimic it back to you. I I have to say there's some things that are really outrageous in this regard. Corey, you may have seen the uh, attacks on our often colleague here, Rosa Brooks from Breitbart and others who uh, – and the Daily Stormer, which have accused her of being a Jewish communist insurgent whose milit- former military husband is capable of carrying out a coup because he was once in the military. They say it like it's a bad thing. And exactly. Say, That's what we like about her. Uh, right. And, and, OK. Wait but, a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. Wait, I want to say that exactly what Julia and Susan just did is leading towards the delegitimization of – of journalism, right? Like, it's not okay to say, wow, a coup would be wonderful. That makes us no different than than the forces we are fighting against. Okay, we well, actually I think, need to be really disciplined I'm and not, not sure, do that I, I, I have stuff. to say, I'm not we sure I entirely— I have to say I'm not sure I entirely agree. I do think a sense of humor is still legal in the United States, and I do think it's possible to make a joke. And I was about to make a joke, which was that in the middle of this story, which accused her of plotting a coup, there was a really egregious error, and that was that she wrote for the Jewish-controlled— publication of the Council on Foreign Relations Foreign Policy. And I, you know, I felt that that was a bridge too far um, uh, because it implied that we were connected somehow to the Council on Foreign Relations. Fake news. That is fake news. As far as Rosa's coup against the United States, I have no knowledge of it. So, so look, I, um, I agree that Rosa is under siege in a way that is disgraceful and deserves support and comfort from all of us who understand what she's going through. And I know all four of us do. Yeah, we've all gone through it in one way or another or in multiple ways. And, you know, I I, want to say something just because you've hit a trigger issue for me. But, you know, the reporting on the structure of the NSC, which is accurate to the extent to which these positions were downgraded from the position they were in in the White House, led to a bunch of – in the Obama administration, led to a bunch of articles saying, yes, but in the initial organization of the W. Bush White House, uh, these positions were in a similar position. True, but also following 9-11, the practice changed and under Obama, uh, it changed more explicitly. And so we can also fall into the trap – of splitting hairs in the way that just the administration wants us to split hairs and to miss the point. And the point is that this administration deliberately sat down and said, we are going to grant a permanent seat to a political operative who is a white supremacist, misogynist, Islamophobe, and we are not going to grant a permanent seat, which has existed in the past, to 
the director of national intelligence or to the chairman of the joint chiefs. And whether it always existed in the past or sometimes existed in the past, a choice was made, and it is an egregiously bad choice. So I agree with both you and Corey, and I think this is a really important point about having a disciplined conversation, although I do think we have to laugh at it a little bit. And and that is the need to separate out what uh, is illegal from what should be illegal, right? So um, the Trump administration, again and again, either through you know, <laughs> dumb luck or, or extreme savvy, um, is finding these loopholes. Um, so one of the loopholes is, uh, you know, that the National Security Act doesn't actually dictate who can be on the principles committee of the NSC, right? So the statutory constraint is is only on the, the membership of the NSC itself. Um, sort of this, this rumor going around of, oh, you know, Bannon needs Senate confirmation, right? People sort of grasping at this stuff. You know, whenever we talk about the law, it, it is really important to be disciplined, to get it right. Uh, and also to, to be clear, whenever we say, okay, uh, no, Steve Bannon does not require Senate confirmation under the law. No, technically he can be on the principles committee. Um, here is how that uh, that breaches major norms. Here's how that's a really, really bad idea. And potentially here's co- Congress. Here's a way that you can uh, close some gaps that you might not have intended to exist in the first place. This reminds me of something I should have said for the last episode, which is one silver lining I'm seeing in this shitstorm is this has been an amazing crash course in advanced civics for most of us. You know, who we're all getting a great education. Correct. Like who knew what the emoluments clause or the Logan Act was (laughs) or, you know, the how, you know, what a principle. I did know. You did. You did. But you went to law school and and you're a you're a fancy dance lawyer. I didn't. I didn't know about these things. I think a lot of Americans didn't know about these things or I think a lot of Americans don't know what a principles committee is. They know the, now. The, well, and they didn't know what the um, – what is it? The Johnson Act? The, yeah, the, the Johnson – yeah, the, Amendment? Or uh, Johnson Act, Act. I don't know what it but, – but, but we didn't know what that was because it was passed in the 1950s ensuring that churches stayed out of the political debate in the United States. And the president has now said, I'm going to eliminate that. And all of a sudden, some people at least are going to start to care about what it was, right? Uh, by the way, a, an act that was passed uh, – created by Senator Lyndon Johnson – and approved by a Republican Congress and signed by Republican President Dwight Eisenhower. Can I just say this goes both ways? So I am married to uh, an Italian film scholar who works on um, mostly fascism, and I've never really thought that his uh, professional life had anything to do with mine. Um, but I'm now deeply interested in uh, in the documentation of the rise of Benito Mussolini. So mm-hmm. I remember going to uh, study Soviet history and then moving to Russia and my parents saying, OK, if you're going to do something useless like history, at least study American history. Russia is a has-been. Who cares about Russia? It's totally irrelevant. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. Now, <laughs> Sucks now, for you, Mom and Dad. Uh, yeah. But, so, wow. That's first time that's been said on this show. But, but you know, the uh, – and, and yet today – well, not today when you're listening, but today when we're recording this, you know, I, I think Trump tweeted out something to the effect of all these protests by these anarchists and thugs and everything else, you know, are threat to democracy or something. Paid protesters. Paid protesters. That it was – Putin could have written the tweet. Yep. I mean it was, it was totally dismissing the idea that any of these protests – had any legitimacy. That is very Putinist, though. Same thing with the allegation that the margin, again, the the margin in the political, uh, in the popular count was illegal voters, that 
That's also very Putin, right? Like the people who don't support you don't count. That the people, we define who the people are and the people, the true, genuine, you know, the Volk, that's just the people who support us. So I feel like if we are going to effectively counter the dangers that Trump's style of politics and half-truths and perpetuation of, of dangerous norms, if we are going to effectively counter that, I think we actually have to really be disciplined and acknowledge that there is, in, my, in some of what he does, kernels of truth that resonate with people. The Berkeley riots over whoever that crazy conservative neo-Nazi guy was who was going to talk at Berkeley, right? First of all, free speech is free speech. He should have been able to speak. And second, the violence associated with that protest actually does concern a lot of people. And so we need to not validate in the minds of many Trump supporters that that, you know, we're justifying those things when what we are justifying is, you know, the Women's March on Washington, which was peaceful, three times the size of the president's inaugural crowds, and an important civic statement. I begin to get worried that in our opposition to the president, we are actually going to strengthen his case and the people who support him instead of peeling those people away from him. So so that's why I'm so fraught on on these issues about coverage. So I agree on that. And, and I think one another sort of example of that happening is, is on the immigration order, right? So Trump signs this immigration order, sort of egregious, malicious, uh, you know, excluding all of these people. And then you have a little bit of sort of a backlash of, you know, everybody should be let in, right? There's not people who are being disciplined about sort of the notion that um, was shared by both President Bush and, and Obama of uh, this concept of secure borders, open doors. Um, and, and being really clear that, you know, look, there are lots of people who favor border security. There are lots of people who, who favor stronger enforcement against uh, illegal immigration. Um, that's not what's going on here. Um, and the more we can sort of be careful there. Uh, the one thing that I, I'm worried about, and, and I sort of, I, I almost put it out there as a, as a question to Corey or anyone else, you know, sort of this bananization uh, of the United States government. Um, uh, so both his inclusion on, on the Principles Committee and these places in which he's inserting politics into areas that were sort of sacrosanct and separate, at least to a large degree before. You know, but this sort of, uh, it inserts both real vagueness into uh, what's going on, right? So we hear Michael Flynn telling Iran, you're on notice. You know, what does that mean? We hear Kellyanne Conway saying this, you know, Bowling Green Massacre, which which is sort of this weird fringe fact-free meme thing. So whenever these people are putting forward things that are sort of ridiculous on their face, it feels, I think sometimes it feels a little bit like, you know, in, in being this really good, responsible, disciplined thinker and, and, and commentator, we're, we're being beat by people who are not playing, are not abiding by the rules of this particular I, game. I don't think it's so that by, I, I think for it's me. the, oh, hold on, sorry, I just wanted to jump in on this. Having spoken for months with a lot of Trump supporters, I am sure that they see 
you know, our horror and our shock and, uh, you know, the bureaucracy fighting back and journalists fighting back. And I think they find it deeply satisfying the same way they hear Iran is being put on notice as deeply emotionally satisfying because the whole point was to shake up Washington and drain the swamp. And the swamp is fighting back. That means Trump is doing something right. He's rattling us. He's making us get our claws out finally. And I think, you know, this is like it's WWF, you know, in one corner we have Steve Bannon and the Trump administration and the other camp we have the, you know, coastal liberal elite uh, elitist establishment. And I think these people are spoiling for a fight. And a lot of this stuff is deeply emotionally satisfying to them. As for things like the Bowling Green Massacre, the more times we talk about the Bowling Green Massacre, the more it becomes a thing, even though it never was a thing. And when Trump supporters hear it from people like us that it wasn't true, I think they, on its face, don't believe us and think we're lying and that they're actually, that Kellyanne Conway was right, that there was something called the uh, the Kellyanne Conway Massacre, the Bowling Green Massacre. And they will find they will go online until and they will look until they find something that confirms the fact that there was in fact a Bowling Green massacre that the mass media is covering up and so it's really good that we're being shaken up and you know put on notice etc cetera, etc cetera. I think the fight is I mean this is the bananization of uh, politics that Susan talked about I think the fight and and getting us angry is part of part is a key tactic in this Corey Yes, I think that's right. I think they are baiting us. For me, the parallel, the conceptual parallel, is to fighting insurgencies, right? If you think about we need to hold ourselves to different higher standards than they hold themselves, and the identification of those standards is going to be our strength and is going to give us the ability to separate people who have supported him from the people, if you think about reconcilables and irreconcilables in terms of countering an insurgency, right? we need to minimize the number of irreconcilables and peel off people who have supported him for various reasons, but are winnable constituencies. I really think that's the only political strategy that, that has the potential to succeed in limiting Trump's success and limiting the bananization of the government. I think there's something very interesting going on here, which is that I started out by talking about the fog of Trump and saying, let's identify the things that we really need to keep our focus on. (laughs) And we've been unable to keep our focus on them because there's so many other extraneous issues. And that is the fog of Trump. That is that it leads off in a lot of directions, many of which are fueled by our emotions. I personally, when you start talking about the Bowling Green massacre, all I can think of is the Pismo Beach disaster. And the Pismo Beach dis- – you're all looking at me like I'm crazy. I know. I'm from California. I'm looking at you like you're crazy from 3,500 miles away too, David. OK. But the Pismo Beach disaster was a real serious problem and there weren't enough supplies for it. Unfortunately, it was a scene from the movie Clueless. Um, and that, okay. you, know, you know, so this was this was a reference to the movie Clueless, and the fact that you guys that explains why I are it. not picking up on it is kind of I sad. I could I could cite the the scene yes good that's I've seen shows, it I just don't know it by you, right. you should know it some by people heart. lost everything don't you think that includes athletic equipment exactly <laughs> there you go I want two mugs for there, that two mugs there you go that'll show your husband some film expert. 
Mussolini Susan. movies. Are you saying Clueless was fascism? Just imagine what I would know if I didn't have all this crap in my no, head. Well, but believe me, sadly, it's also in my head. Um, and, and Clueless holds the answer to everything, by the way. It is one of the sort of canon of movies that everybody needs to watch to understand. Never, never would have taken you for a clueless aficionado. Well, it's just it's just part of the truth of He's America. He's the father of daughters. Oh, yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, it's, it's part of the truth of America, <laughs> and I did watch it many times. Anyway, I wanted to get back to the point at the beginning, which is what happens is we plow under the things we ought to be looking at. We get into these side discussions. We get into the crisis of the day. We get into the tweet of the day. We analyze why Donald Trump said that Iran was put on notice all in caps and, and that on notice in caps is somehow much more serious than on notice in upper It's and like lower the case. final notice from the collections agency the, if it's, it's in all caps. In our arsenal of Twitter tools, it's one of the most powerful that we've got. But we're missing the, the point because – whether it's the ethics issues or the Russia issues or the Mexico catastrophe or the Australia mess up or the fact that, you know, on February 20th, the British Parliament is going to hold a debate about whether it is suitable for the president of the United States to visit its closest ally. You know, I mean, th think, think about that. So I think all of these stories are important, um, but we also need to uh, keep in mind why they're important, right? Uh, it's not; it shouldn't be outrage for outrage's sake. Um, it's about what is uh, what is achieved by that outrage. I mean, there are a couple of different goals, and, and we have to think about that as we decide, you know, which stories to pursue and how. Um, so one is just limiting the political man maneuverability, right? The less acceptable or popular Donald Trump is, uh, the less uh, you know he's going to be able to do fewer things. The other, you know, and then. Maybe it's a little bit irresponsible to say the I word, um, but impeachment, right? Um, whether or not there is uh, actual evidence that is an impeachable offense that, that will inspire Congress to move. You know, the, the other area is— But, but the, let's just talk about that a second. There is evidence. I mean, I'm not saying the president should be impeached, but it talks about high crimes and misdemeanors. He has violated the Constitution of the United States. He has violated a number of other kinds of ethical laws and constraints that exist there. There may be— Maybe, you know, ties and other kinds of compromises that are even more worrisome. Is that the T word? Ties. Treason. Treason. But, but once again, it's the difference between sort of conceptual versus practical impeachment. Yes, uh, clearly there is, uh, you know, uh, enough information in, in the public record that, that Congress would, would have a substantive article of impeachment. Predicate. What, <laughs> predicate. Uh, what matters is uh, is whether or not Congress is actually going to act. And so the more information that comes, that comes to the public, information that didn't exist before, that changes things, that allows an opportunity. The other area, and this a little bit touches on, on what Corey just said, um, and that's the, the midterm. Right. I would not be shocked if um, if in the upcoming midterms we saw a never Trump movement that looked a little bit like the Tea Party movement, that a group of, of principled conservatives or even just opportunistic politicians, um, the more and more Donald Trump becomes divorced from traditional conservative values, uh, the less popular he becomes just in general as he fails to deliver on all these promises to his base. They realize they're just as bad off as they were before, if not more. 
more so. Um, there's going to potentially be a very powerful case to be made of, hey, you know, you elected this guy. He sold out everything we believe in. These these craven people in the House and the Senate uh, uh, went along with it. Um, you know, vote him out of office in the same way sort of that, that anti-establishment so- effort took hold. I think that's unlikely. It's especially unlikely in the 2018 midterm election for two reasons. First, because while Trump is doing lots of outrageous and egregious things, you know, his Supreme Court nominee was not outrageous and egregious. And I think there are a lot of conservatives who disapprove of many things Trump is doing but voted for him because of the Supreme Court vacancy and potential future vacancies. And so the fact that he didn't nominate somebody crazy for that, he nominated a sensible, principled conservative who objects to administrative overreach by the state, that's going to reassure a lot of conservatives who might otherwise peel off into into the direction Susan had suggested. So if If Trump, between a Supreme Court nominee, spurring growth somewhat, even only by the suggestion of unleashing animal spirits and maybe some tax reform from the Congress, that will likely be enough to... That will likely be enough to hold conservatives behind him through 2018. The second thing is that the landscape of the 2018 election dramatically favors conservatives, especially for the Senate seats. And so a likelier outcome than Evan McMullen and principled conservatives rising up in a Tea Party version is Democrats losing ground, not because they were ineffective in countering the president, but just because the terrain favors conservatives in 2018. And as a result, Trump claiming that he's he's got an even bigger mandate than he had in 2016. I, I don't think the 2018 elections are going to be our salvation in the way Susan suggests. Well, if Corey wants to run for some California uh, now you're seat, talking. People, <laughs> I people, already have the buttons made up. People, people, Fantastic. I thank you for that vote of confidence, my friends. What's the ER party? Come on, folks. We should have our own political party. Corey can be our first candidate because, you know, hell hath no fury like a never Trumper scorned could be our bumper sticker. Uh, and I got to say that never Trumpers I know. They're the angriest people I know. You know, it's not just Democrats who are, you know, feeling bad. Most of the Democrats I know are feeling sorry for themselves. They're, they haven't quite gotten to, to the point of anger. But I'm going to take one last circle around here about an outrage that you think has been plowed under that we ought to be talking about or an issue that has emerged that you think is worthy of investigation that hasn't gotten its due, Julia. Uh, Some of his cabinet nominees, you know, Tom Price's alleged insider trading or uh, Steve Mnuchin forgetting to mention $100 million worth of real estate or Betsy DeVos. That is outrageous. It's insane. Or Betsy DeVos plagiarizing her written responses to the Senate committee. Or having visited a public school. Yeah, I mean, all these things I think would have driven the news cycle forever 
back in the good old days. If, and it, if it was not the shitstorm. If it was not the shitstorm and if the shitstorm weren't cr- cramming these nominees through really, but, but, really fast. Right. You could call it the fog of Trump or you could call it the shitstorm effect. Mm-hmm. Because I think the shitstorm effect is you really just don't know what's in front of you. Corey, what is the one other issue that you don't think has been addressed fully? America's allies justifiably hedging their bets about whether we will do what we have committed to do. And, I, and, I not, and not believing it. Not, there is a real yeah. doubt that the United States would honor Article 5 if Russia moved into Latvia, right? Right. And, and America's allies would be justified in hedging their bets. And uh, I think I begin to see the leading edge of longtime American allies beginning to do so. And also public attitudes in longstanding American allies. I mean, German support for the United States has dropped something like 40 points in public opinion in the last two months. Hasn't been helped. Did you see that Der Spiegel cover? That will make it harder for allied governments to work with us and to say yes to things that the United States wants. And I think that's not getting enough coverage yet. Case in point, Corey, there was a Der Spiegel cover this week with a very orange Trump holding the head of the Statue of Liberty with blood dripping from her erstwhile neck and holding a bloody knife like a... Uh, Right. And then, of course, the Trump administration... Great, great example. ...you know, is trying to put salve on that wound by attacking the Germans for currency manipulation (laughs) and planning potential sanctions against, you know, our most important ally in Europe. And a land war with Australia. Land war with Australia. Um, you know, it's always a good early move in the game of risk to get Australia. <laughs> that does explain what's going on. Uh, that's, 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 by the way, possibly where Steve Bannon has got oh, all of his good. foreign policy experience. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Sort of all these um, really important domestic issues that are uh, that are being overlooked. Um, I, of course, only care about my own things, which are sort of national security, foreign policy. And that's uh, the thing that I I think is being overlooked is um, the pretty clear statements by very influential members of this administration, both Steve Bannon and Donald Trump himself, about the inevitability of certain wars, right? They talk about inevitable confrontations with China. Um, They talk about being at war with Islam and needing to just recognize that we were at war. Um, They talk about a a confrontation with Iran, right? You hear Donald Trump just uh, the other day saying, we have all options on the table whenever it comes to Iran. Um, uh, Whenever we're talking about a conflict between the United States and Iran, with all options on the table, that includes nuclear weapons, right? This is not an area uh, in which we want to be careless with our words. And I think people need to keep a really close eye on whether or not our current national security policy um, is a self-fulfilling prophecy, that it is staffed by people, uh, Bannon, Sebastian Gorka, all of these people that sort of Breitbart types that now occupy uh, the White House, that are making decisions based on those types of assumptions um, that are actually going to lead us into really, really serious and very, very consequential confrontations. Um, That to me is sort of, that's the big existential thing that's out there. And I think people, um, I don't think you should go crazy and be crazy alarmist about it, but uh, it would be foolish to not really take that stuff seriously and pay very close attention. Any one of these issues in any prior administration would own the news cycles for weeks, if not months, if not years, as would having white supremacists in your government as would having your family you know, in the government or having people with no experience in the government. And each one of them deserves 
the kind of attention they haven't gotten so far, uh, whether it's the Russia thing, the hack, the Russia ties, the Russia compromises, the coming payoffs to Russia for all of this, the uh, ethics issues, whether it's the ownership of the Trump organization or how it's compromising foreign policy or the emoluments clause or extreme views that have led to problems in the system, or frankly, it's the lack of respect for process within the system. I feel obligated to add one more to the list, one more that seems extreme, one more that no one dares to bring up in polite society, but there is a better than even chance in my mind that this president has some serious pathologies. He has some serious issues, whether it's narcissistic personality disorder or a certain kind of paranoia or other kinds of deficiencies, uh, including uh, unwillingness to read, apparently, that really call into question his suitability uh, or even capability for the office. And so far, he's in the honeymoon, right? So far, he's in the phase where more people are inclined to be nice to him than will be true at any other time in, in his administration. And when the heat turns up on this guy, I think we are going to come back to this moment and say, wait a minute, there were signs. We didn't deal with those signs. We didn't take them seriously. And I know it sounds extreme, but you know, watch this space because I think it may come back to us in spades. And 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 you know, honestly, I actually, you know, I hear things from within the White House about phone calls. And, and where the president takes them and how his staff looks in horror at where these things are taken and, and, and how he flies off the handle on things. We've seen it with tweets. These are not the behaviors of a rational actor. And people sort of say, well, it's all calculated to stir up the shitstorm or to stir up the fog of Trump. Um, and I would say some of these things were clearly not calculated. They were spontaneous immature at best, slightly unhinged at worst. And, you know, I, I think that's something else we should watch. Point is, try to peer through the shitstorm. Try to see through the fog of Trump. Stay focused. And as Susan rightly said at the beginning, you know, you got to do your job. You got to stay in your lane where there's an area where you can add value. You've got to add value. We don't have a mission here uh, in terms of, you know, opposing the president of the United States, we do have a mission here of getting towards truth on these issues. And that's what I'm referring to in particular is we've got to get to the bottom of a lot of these things and stop letting truth be a second or tertiary importance in these in these discussions. Uh, that said, what a great week. The first week with two episodes of the ER in one week. And every week from now on, there will be at least two. And who knows what could happen if this is the kind of success that the first year of the ER was. I know why. It's because they're great people on the show, like Corey Shockey in her hot tub at the Hoover Institution, which, of course, is a special kind of, 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 of hot tub with all the controls on the right-hand side. Um, um, uh, Julia and Susan, it was great to have you here. Please, all of you, come back, audience included, sometime soon. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Foreign Policy's The ER Podcast. 
I'm David Rothkoff, and I've been your host. The program is produced by Maria Ori and Ann Kingston. For more information about FP and to subscribe to this and our Global Thinkers podcast, please visit foreignpolicy.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. Thank you very much for joining us.